we don't have to be fashion conscious to recognise our guest on Afternoons today. Liz Davenport is one of WA's most familiar names and she is, of course, a fashion designer. This year she celebrates 35 years in the industry. And you might also remember a few years back when she stepped into the political arena, briefly running against the then Premier of the state, Richard Court, on an environmental platform in 2001. So clearly a woman who knows what she wants and hasn't been shy about getting her message <laughs> across. Would you <laughs> say that's true, Liz? You're looking very shy. Sheepish Thank all of a sudden. You. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. You, you have to be a little bit out there um, to survive in business for 35 years. I would imagine you would, and particularly, and now I think that would be difficult, but 35 years ago I could imagine that would be even more so. It just happens in baby step, baby step, but it's not just the 35 years, it's the next 10 that are even more exciting than what's gone before. It's almost like I've practised for the next, the next thing that's about to happen. Something that I've always dreamed of. I've always wanted the brand to be an international brand in a, the true sense of the word. And um, oh, we're so close to it now. Um, it's really exciting. You've got a steely look in your eyes all of a sudden. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's a tangible definitely. hunger. So is that how, would you say that you've thought all along? Is it always looking ahead and thinking, how can you get bigger and bigger? Is that what you need to do to be successful? You, you really, it's not so much bigger and bigger, it's better. It's the constant quest for excellence. I never say perfection because that might be just a little bit difficult, but the constant quest to do it better uh, is, it, is just how I live by it. And I believe, a motto of mine, is that um, every one of us can do better every day of our lives. We can improve. We can do something better tomorrow than we did it today. It's, and, and, and a lot of people never realise their full potential because they don't push the boundary. And I, I think that undeveloped potential is criminal. I started out as a school teacher and I just used to develop every talent and every skerrick of um, interest that I could find in those little students because I had sixes and sevens eight years old and I had them from when they first came to school and I could lift them into the stratosphere by the end of the year I could get them from reading year one books up to year three books. I'd devise new systems of doing things and always told them, come on, we can do it better. We can do it differently. We can try it a different way. Did you love that? I can imagine. I loved it. Been Absolutely a really good loved it. There are probably some of my um, pupils out there somewhere today um, uh, listening and thinking, well, you know, she taught me, but I, and maybe they think that I um, betrayed the profession. But By leaving? Yes, but I didn't. I just always had uh, the creative um, sewing bug. Now, I'd love to hear about this. I've read a little bit about it in your bio, but talk to us about you. You were 
born on a wheat and sheep farm? Yes. Well, see, in Western Australia, we can talk about that because it was in Noangarup. And a lot of people don't know where Noangarup is, you see. If I'm outside of Western Australia, they just go, well, where's that? But um, Noangarup, Noangarup Primary School. I went to um, boarding school in Katanning at Kabelia. There was a Church of England girls boarding school there at the time. And you could take your own horse and learn to ride. Sounds very It was fabulous. But by the time I got to boarding school, I could actually make my own clothes. I started when I was six years old. I had a sister who was quite a bit older than me, and she was a very good little dressmaker and a nurse. So I would just sit where she was, and she taught me how to sew on brown paper to start with. And then I graduated from brown paper, coloured cotton on brown paper, to the treadle machine. I could actually thread and pedal a treadle when I was six. How did you reach the treadle? Oh, she would just set it up for me so I could manage it. And um, a glorious old machines, weren't they? I used to oh, love. Fantastic. I used to love putting my foot on. My mother had one as a dressing table and just making it go faster and faster and faster. But I never actually thought of using the sewing machine. And when I was at boarding school, you you had the freedom then to you had you know you could go to the sewing room and do whatever you want to do after classes. So I would get there first and get the electric sewing machine and just loved it. Was it a creativity thing or were you, I mean, was your family wealthy? Was there a need? Well, I did come from quite a um, well-off background, but it was, no, it was a creative thing. It was love to do it. uh, And and also I am a... um, uh, if somebody, if there were two assignments to be done and you could choose one, I would have to do both. I just was a kind of workaholic from childhood. Can I just, sorry, Liz, just interrupt you very briefly to say there's a car crashed in the left-hand lane of the Quinana Freeway heading south. We have a few listeners sitting on the, on the freeway. Traffic's getting congested. The fire brigade's getting to work to clear the area. If you can avoid using the Quinana Freeway south of the city, doing yourself a favour. Queues are banked up to the Narrows Bridge. Hopefully nobody was hurt. Um, so it was that you were compelled? Totally. And then, So I went off to be a school teacher and, and then oh, when I was into my marriage career, so my married life. You were very young when you, when you got married, probably not for the day, but tell me about meeting your husband. Oh, God, that would be a whole session. That, <laughs> do you know I met my husband when I was 17? He actually followed my car. And I, oh, I, I stalker. Oh my God! So um, I tried to escape, but oh, I couldn't. couldn't. I just didn't don't. manage it. So anyway, I, look, on, and honestly, I knew from that very first moment that I met him that I was never going to escape from him. That it would be a lifetime together. It was just totally. So what a foregone conclusion. He, he knew you beforehand. No, never you. met him. He saw you in the car. He'd seen me drive. I was seventeen. I had my driver's license. I, I used to drive to high school in my school uniform, and he had actually seen me around, and he wondered who it was. And this particular night, we went to a school ball or something, and oh, anyway, I I met him, and and that wasn't my scene at the time. I was too busy studying, and we tried to escape, but didn't happen so and then I had to say to my mother look I have met somebody and I know he's going to ask me out oh you're not allowed to go out and whilst you're still studying and anyway it was the beginning of a great romance so oh. he's just a wonderful man he's he still makes me laugh 
every day and he's my greatest pal. So it's been a wonderful life. And you just can't have a career like the career that I've managed unless you have got um, the wonderful man and the very healthy children. How supportive has he been? Obviously very supportive. But how did that work when you first started Mark? Because it was quite unusual for, for a woman to put everything that she had into a business and bring up a family 35 years ago. Well, everything was just, he, everything was equal. Um, um, and right through the children's growing up, uh, if I couldn't make it to the school to pick the children up, then he, he, he would ring me. 20 minutes out from pick-up and say, how are you going? Oh, well, I've got it under control. I'll pick them up. And we split everything. He did all the sport because he just loved the kids being involved in sport. And I did the arts. So Jane was into drama and all of those um, subjects, singing, and just a talented, very talented person. Katie was a very talented athlete. So we just split everything. And so it was always an equal, very equal. It was very, very fortunate, very lucky. And I imagine that. that he knew what he was getting into when he when he wanted to marry you. I have I don't I have no idea. In fact, it was his words that started it. Because when I was school teaching, he said, "If you're going to work like that for someone else, you should be working for yourself. What What do you want to do?" And I said, "Oh, I'll, I'll go into fashion." And do you know that's exactly how it happened? So I went and had a look for something that was to do with fashion and found a fashion agency and became a fashion agent. What does a fashion agent do? A fashion agent sells Sydney, Melbourne brands in Western Australia. I'm talking to Liz Davenport. She's our guest on Afternoons, WA Fashion Designer. So did you stay with that for a long time or did you really, did that, that urge to make your own stuff? Really I stayed stuff? with that until the day that a customer came through the door. No, five customers came through the door of the agency in one day and they all asked for the same thing. Grey flannel pants was the big fashion in the mid-70s and I didn't have grey flannel pants because the people I represented, they could sell every pair of grey flannel pants that they could make in Sydney and Melbourne. So why would they send any to Perth? So I couldn't get them. So I actually rang my opposition which was Bev Spargo at the time. She had a brand called Love and Gear. That must have I, stuck in your craw. No, it was funny. I rang her and said, look, I want to make some grey flannel pants, but I don't know how to go about it. She said, why would I help you? You're, you're the opposition and hung up. <laughs> and then she rang back and said, no, I will help you as long as you have the things made in my factory. So that big, that big, So I started manufacturing in her factory at the very beginning and when the grey flannel pants were completed, the um, supervisor of the factory rang up and said, what, where are your labels? You have to have a label in these pants. And I said, oh, I hadn't thought about a label. And he said, well, we've got to finish them off. They've got to have a label. There are some labels down under the sink in the back of the factory. You can have those. And so the first things went out as Pierre Dolby of 7th Avenue. How gorgeous. <laughs> and then gradually I had to... Uh, I had to get accustomed <laughs> to putting Liz Davenport on the garments and that took a long time because Why? because my mother always said you don't have tickets on yourself. That was just, you know, it was a saying, you don't have tickets on yourself. You don't, in other words, be a little bit humble. 
And um, no I one had likes a, a skater, do they? Australians skite. just don't no, like it. No, and I was really conscious of it. And the putting your name on a garment was the ultimate ticket on yourself. So I couldn't do it, not for a long time. What and did your mother say when you did? Um, oh, she was so amazed at the fact that I'd even started a business and had gone down that path. She thought that a school teacher was the epitome of um, scaling the heights professionally. And then to have a daughter that actually changed and went into fashion design. I mean, she was a very creative lady because she was actually an artist herself, brilliant artist, and uh, loved the colour. That's where all my colour comes well, from. Well, it is astonishing that you talk about grey flannel pants because it couldn't be further away from what you do now, and you've brought in some, some swatches of fabric, and the colours are just so glorious. And so, look, tell, tell us about your love of blue because I just think that's so... Delightful. Do you know, there are two things to do with blue that influenced me right from the get-go. In the shearing shed, there were the acid bottles, the battery acid bottles, up against the glass. And I was so fascinated by that colour. I would go into the shearing shed and just look at it because the colour was so amazing. And then, of course, because we're on a farm and my father was a real um, nature lover, um, and my mother, we had gardens full of birds because he planted um, natural vegetation as the household, as the house garden. And of course, part of that was the splendid wren, the beautiful blue wrens, which to this day take my breath away. And that is our signature colour. They are astonishing, aren't they? They are just impossible. I could look at them for hours and just not understand how they could be they just couldn't be that blue well you can take methylated spirits on a cork and squeak it on the side of a bottle and sit very still and birds will come almost to sit on you and as a child I'd sit there and squeak the bottle and birds would just come and sit all around you I, I think that's where my passion for the environment began is just the wildflowers and and the and the bird life in particular, and we always had pets, you know. And you were now. I've got to. I've got to tell you that um, uh, we've got a, had a couple of callers in, and one caller says that at the age of fourteen, that you made most of the costumes for a production of Mikado with ninety people in the cast. I did. Do you remember that? I do. This is somebody from Cabelia, uh, um, because we um, we made these wonderful costumes. Oh, it's a fabulous project, and um, I couldn't sing. You couldn't sing. No, I could. I'm but just, you like to listen I can, to it. I can't cook. I'm not a good runner, and I'm not very athletic, and I just simply cannot sing. I would love to be able to sing, but somebody else did the singing, and I made the costumes. Well, it's good to know what we're good, <laughs> to know what we're good at. I think that's a real talent. And uh, Caller Mary said that Liz, that you told her if she didn't keep still in the fitting, that you'd stick her in the ribs with a pin. <laughs> How lovely! <It's> Confess. <laughs> oh, look, my friend Libby um, Bletchenen was the main singer in the Mikado. I was so in awe of her. Singer, the singers are just—it's just so, so stunning, isn't it? Oh, it's beautiful. just wonderful. Oh, yeah. how, what a lovely thing to do! That's and, lovely to hear. And you were talking about your passion for the environment. Of course, everybody would know that you stood against Richard, Richard Court as a Liberal for Forests, and that was obviously 
mean, running a business as you do, you must have had enormous passion for that cause. And it wasn't political. Sometimes people say, oh, it was a political agenda. After I was arrested in the, in the forest, which I didn't actually mean to do either, it was an accident, but, you know. Well, tell us about being arrested because that is a fair, I mean, I'm sure lots of us know about it, but it might be a bit of a clangor for those who Well, it came about because I, we, we went to have a look at the destruction of the forest um, and I was totally unaware and as most West Australians would be, unaware as I was then, we chartered an aircraft and flew over the Cary forests of the southwest. And I was sitting in the back of the plane. I choked. I, I couldn't believe the devastation that I was looking at. And it was just almost as if you could reach down and touch the, fir the few trees that were left in some places. And I said to Terry, when we land... I want to go to the protest camp because I want to talk to those people. I really admire what they're doing, and because they're, that's brave. And um, I'm going. And look, we're going to run out of time. And oh in, no! Just, I know. And you and you and you. It was a, a misdemeanour, but we went it, to have a look at what was happening, and I was so appalled that I decided I couldn't allow myself not to be involved. Just so, absolutely, and and you and you did. And I you, took you... the media with me there, and said, "Have a look at this," and that's where it all started from. I am so sorry that we're not going to get <laughs> yeah, time right. to that's hear right. it all because it's just such a fantastic story. And thank you so much My for pleasure. sharing it with us today, Liz. It's it just been fantastic. To lovely have you. to be here. That's you're on seven twenty afternoons, and Liz Davenport will be our podcast today. Oh, Russell's you. having a bit of a snigger. What are you laughing at? That's <laughs> a bit rude. I love Russell. <laughs> I, I, love see too, I see him every night. I really admire you. Hard I love the weather. Love Thank you. What he's, you he's, he's good at it. I actually, I remember meeting you, Liz, and you won't remember this, but it was at, uh, I think it was a National Party conference in Carnarvon. Yes, I do. When you were a guest speaker and... Is that when you were a reporter Living up, up in Carnarvon, yeah, yeah. And the National Party told me I could speak on whatever I wished to speak on, and I did. I remember it. Was I've it... never heard such silence. Oh. <laughs> no, Russell Wolf from, lost uh, what, from me, from me, or from the from audience the that audience. night. Oh, I thought yeah, you meant yeah. from Russell. I, you know what? I remember sitting at a table with a couple of uh, police union officials, and um, just just drinking far too much red wine. That's actually the thing I remember the most. They're very hospitable. Oh, they're wonderful. <laughs> yeah. no, Fantastic no. place, isn't it? The North. What have you got on Drive well, for us that uh, you can briefly tell us about? Yes, thanks. Um, we have I'm feeling got... magnanimous. Thank I don't you. usually let Russell tell us what's on, on the Drive program. No. And, and there you just, you've taken another 15 <laughs> seconds off me <laughs> explaining. I've got uh, Josh Earl, who's performing at Beck's at uh, the Music Box tonight as part of the... Uh, Perth International Arts Festival, is coming in to have a chat with us this afternoon. Uh, we are also hoping to remember Jock Ferguson uh, talking about the police oh, yes. union. Um, you kind of forget that, I mean, there was a time when he was in the news all the time and uh, somebody that, you know, represented his members, I think, effectively. Um, and uh, we're hoping to reflect on his time 
uh, this afternoon on the Draft Program as well. Fantastic. And don't forget to join us on Afternoons for Question 2 in our competition to get you to the art show in Canberra. 3 o'clock now, news Podcast. Time.